for your dancing and your dining pleasure this evening. Let's welcome on stage, please, Eska. Thank you. performed at WOMAD on the third day. She blew us all away. Firmly established in the UK music scene, she has used her versatile voice and musical talent in many ways, working as a singer and multi-instrumentalist, teacher and composer. She has been described as the finest female vocalist in the UK by the very Laura Mvula and has collaborated with a range of amazing artists such as Bobby McFerrin, Cinematic Orchestra or Zero Seven. debut album called Eska earlier this year. We were lucky enough to nab her for an interview before her performance on the last day of Wormat to talk about her debut album and music, her challenges and inspirations on her journey so far. Shambhala and Canary Wharf Jazz Festival. And, um, so yeah, the, the festival season is still on for me. Um, but then we're hoping to return in the autumn, winter, with a headline UK tour, um, as well as some European dates added because um, yeah, it's yeah, exciting, exciting things developing there as well. Do you enjoy festivals? I love the challenge of the festival because you know my, my al the album that I wrote has a particular mood and a feel about it and so that's that's me as a recording artist as a producer thinking about how to present my music in the, as a studio format as a record but the exciting thing about being at a festival now is that now I have to magnify that sound in a way I have to find a way of magnifying the presentation of that record to translate to a festival audience and that that's a big challenge and actually I, I really like that that challenge as a performer mm. yeah. have you fun. been to WOMAD before? 
no, this is my debut for Womad. What yeah. do you think so far? I'm loving it. <laughs> you know, I, I'm not sure how many festivals work in the mud and the rain, but Womad certainly does. And, you know, being a new mum as well, I just, I love the fact that I'm seeing little babies here, um, you know, with their headphones on, well done parents, and just kids running around in their wellies. I think that's very healthy. You know, we got we got the lot here, and I love yeah. that. I love that. Did you bring your daughter along? Well, she just turned one um, and has a cobble like her mum. Oh, no. So <laughs> I had to say no. Gutted, though. I'm smiling at every baby that goes... <laughs> Starting her solo career in 2012, Eska received the PRS Women Make Music Fund to start touring with her much-loved EP, Gatekeeper. It's the only fund in the UK specifically directed at female musicians. I was interested to know why she applied for that fund in particular. It's a good question because it's, um, it raises a lot of issues. Is there a need for women to have a separate fund for music? And if so, why? Is it is that a good thing or a bad thing to point women out, you know, to single them out in that way? <clears throat> I, I can say for myself, it's been hugely beneficial. Had there not been uh, that that particular year, that that fund and receiving that fund enabled me to even just start touring for the first time in, in England. That wasn't possible before. Mm. It's not that I wouldn't have been able to go for other awards. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm sure that there would have been others that I could have applied for. But I guess, you know, it being uh, singling us women out meant that actually there was probably more opportunity there for me. Um, so having been a beneficiary of that award, I'm incredibly grateful to PRSF because in many ways I feel like that kick-started the promotion of my music, um, the live promotion of my music, that award actually kick-started live performance for me. Yeah. It really did. I had recorded an EP, the Gatekeeper EP, and so that had been finished. But then I needed a way to get that out for people to hear it, not just only as a record, but actually to see me as a performer because because that's actually a huge part of my work. Um, and my goodness, I'm, I'm glad I did get that award. We could talk about, oh, we could talk about <laughs> the other side of things and, yeah. you know, uh, it, its relevance. Um, uh, but, you know, that, that's kind of my take on it. Okay, yeah. great. So do you, and you 
feel free not to answer this yeah. question, but do, do you feel you've had challenges um, in the music business because you are a woman? I think the challenges uh, as a woman, or as my experience, I can, I, you know, my experience as a woman, one of the biggest challenges for me is is been me and overcoming my insecurities um, just because of the way the music industry presents opportunities for women. It seems to be very much about being under 25. It seems to be very much about being of a particular size. And it also seems to be about a, being a particular shade, you know, uh, of colour. Those things play on any woman's mind. They do, because you straight away look in the ether, you look in the atmosphere, you, you, look, you look on television, you, you, look in, you look online, and then you're trying to find yourself. Where do I find someone looking like me, my age, my size, who sings like in the kind of music that I do? Where do I find someone like me? In mainstream music, in the commercial sector, and then that, that can be intimidating because then you think, well, how do I pave a way if I haven't, if I don't see that anyone else has, has gone before me doing what I do? It is difficult pioneering anything because you feel like you, sh you shouldn't be doing it because no one else has. Or there must be a reason why people don't, uh, women like me don't do music, are not lead singers. There must be a reason why women like me end up only as backing vocalists. There must be a reason why. And to be honest, you know, when you start trying to answer those questions, when I start asking, answering those questions for myself, I didn't find the reasons particularly good. And they weren't valid enough for me to feel like I, I should not keep on pursuing my craft. You know? And that it was a very big step for me personally to try and step out as, as an artist, as a lead artist. It was easier to play the role of the side musician. It was easier to play the role even of the songwriter, to be honest. Um, because you can hide in those, those roles. Um, but to actually say, no, I'm, I'm going to be at the front and I'm going to own this song. I'm not going to get someone else to sing it, I'm going to sing it myself. And then you sort of question, well, how, how do I perform this? Because I haven't seen anyone like me even perform as a front. You know, all these things come up. And so the biggest hindrance actually was me having to overcome that mental block, um, not feeling like, you know, in terms of the commercial world, that I could see any anyone like me being represented. That was incredibly scary. And I, I feel for, for any woman, quite frankly, even when they're looking, you know, quote unquote normal, I feel for any woman trying to make it because you're going to still ask yourself those questions, regardless of the shade of your skin, regardless of your size, regardless of the style of music, you're going to, those questions are going to come up in your head. And you're going to also find you're going to meet people who are going to say things, men in particular, who are going to say things that are going to be really vulgar and put you off or try to put you on. Um, and equally, you'll find women saying that as well. 
So yes, it's been a very difficult journey for me on a, on a personal level um, to overcome that. Musically, no, but actually artistically and trying to find my aesthetic and trying to find the confidence to own being an artist, that's been a huge challenge. Wow, so your much-awaited debut album that was released earlier this year, yeah. do you think that was a result of all of the, that Absolutely. coming together? It was all of that. You know, and uh, it's funny. I just I, I I stumbled on an article. The actor Hugh Laurie was talking about, you know, when you, when are you ready? You know, and then you're, you you've got to you've just got to accept that you're ready now. Not think of a time a moment when you're ready. But I kept saying to myself, I'll be ready. Maybe if I give myself a year to lose weight. Can you imagine? I'm, I'm saying this to myself. And then a year goes by and I haven't lost the weight. And then I go, oh, no, wait another year. Maybe I'll give myself another year to lose. And I'm, I'm being genuinely honest and I don't mind sharing that because I'm sure there are other women who think this, have thought these things. Or maybe I'll give myself a year to work on this or work yeah. on that. Things yeah. that have nothing to do about the yeah. music. Yeah. But actually to do with real deep feminine insecurities. You start ruling yourself out, you know. And then with every passing year, you're a year older, you start getting, you know, there's the, the, the anxiety around that that people give you. It's disgraceful. You know, especially when I think that, you know, I, I cannot understand that anyone would think that their best creativity is when they're 25, not 40. It doesn't make any sense. Surely you should be getting better with it. Yeah, absolutely. One, one would hope. One's getting better at yeah. what they do, not worse. <laughs> you know. You know, yeah, logical. But, but you know, from you know, commercial music industry, somehow makes you believe that authenticity is only for the young. One yeah. cannot be authentically in their own skin and embody creative, creative aspiration and brilliance. Uh, you know, uh, as they get older, and especially for women, I think that's very, very hard. With the political situation in the UK, um, there's been a lot of welfare cuts and general austerity measures that um, also apply to musicians and teachers, and you've worked as a teacher, yeah. as exactly. Um, do you have any stories for when you were inspired by a music teacher or by any teacher? Well, thinking politically, I, I was inspired by Ken Livingston because, you know, back back in the day, there was heavy sub subsidising <coughs> of music in inner, inner city schools in London. The reason why I'm a musician today, or one of the reasons why I was given music opportunity as a young person, was because of that subsidy, and it not only uh, paid for my violin lessons, but it paid for my scholarship to a music conservatory. I, I don't know of anything such thing that exists for an inner city kid whose parents can't afford music lessons today. I don't know how that would be possible because there's so much talent in some of these schools. And you know these kids are not going to get that chance that I had. And for some of them, it's their only life and it's incredible. It could be the thing that just makes things make sense for them. In, in, in academia yeah. and it's just a waste of talent every year it's, it's criminal not only are they missing out but this country's missing out on great musicians great artists they're just missing out mm. and
and uh, it's a real shame. Do you have any advice um, for some of these young artists or aspiring musicians that you would give? Uh, uh, well, it depends how young. I mean. <laughs> uh, emerging artists, or yeah, or maybe kids just starting to learn music. Kids starting to learn music, all oh, that be difficult because you know there are so many things that need to be in place for a child's opportunities to you know to really seize on to seize on opportunities for young people, especially at the at the, at the younger end. The schools have to be plugged in. They have to be enthusiastic teachers who will connect them with the right organisations in their area, who will see that these um, who will see who will seize and grasp the opportunities mm. for the children in their class. Mm. So we got a serious thing that has to happen there to yeah. starters. And then at the next level, the same thing has to happen in secondary school. Schools that are plugged into the things that are in their local areas and are just grabbing hold of the opportunities that are there for free for young people. Because there is much, but often because of the, actually the workload and teachers being over, uh, overworked, Unfortunately, some of these extracurricular things get marginalised, and so it's you know you need a, you need great teachers who who can see can make those connections for their young young people and grab those opportunities for them. I was fortunate to have teachers like that. And at the other end, where you've got the emerging artists, I would say you know the best piece of advice that I was ever given was work to the to work to such an extent that you're making an impact with with, with your work your work first <laughs> I, I think um, one of the strange things about certain courses that have emerged you know, music business courses and things like that I think young people have been uh, sold a lie that there's some sort of formula to this industry there is no formula you don't go and get a degree in the music industry about music business and suddenly know about contracts or suddenly know how to negotiate things because there are no rules in how things work at all there are absolutely none so they got to kick all of that knowledge to the wayside and make it be about their work and the quality of their work I Maybe I'm a dreamer, but I still believe that the quality of your work will make room for you. Your gifts will make will open doors for you in its time. And you, so you might wait, have to wait a week. You might have to wait 15 years, but your your gift will make room for you and 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 will open opportunity for you. I think if we end up focusing on uh, all the other things around the business side of things they can actually divert the attention from the most important thing. Just go away and be brilliant. <laughs> Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you, Eska, for this wonderful interview. We hope to see you on the main stage next year. And meanwhile, make sure you catch her at one of her next gigs. Pretty